about a year ago I stumbled on the show With, with Geralt of Rivia An obsession did grow He took so many bats And stoked Jennifer's wrath Golden dragons came across her path Then came many books My co-host added hook We made this podcast We hope at last We wanted to go back To where it all began You bought the ticket Won't you take the ride? Welcome to our podcast, oh dear sorry listeners, oh dear sorry listeners, oh, oh, oh. welcome to our podcast, please give us five stars. So welcome, welcome to this podcast. Where welcome to the Nihilism Podcast. We rant about being late 20, early 30 somethings. Mm-hmm. And also talk about The Witcher, both mm. in book form and TV form. Mm-hmm. I'm Alexa. I'm John Mark. And we are Witcher super fans, which is why we're here tonight to recap episode seven of The Witcher on Netflix. Our long-awaited recap of episode seven. So I might have made some promises. We, we I might have <laughs> made some promises and overextended myself, but you know what? It doesn't matter that I'm not going to get all the episode recaps up before July ends, okay? <laughs> it doesn't matter. I remember I made that promise, but it's okay. It's fine. The the Netflix episodes have kind of been like a, a little bit of like icing on the cake is at least the way we've been kind of treating it. So, I mean, we're really glad to do it, um, but we kind of, when, when scheduling gets tight, like the... The Netflix episodes are kind of like the first ones on the chopping block in terms of, all right, well, we don't necessarily need to get that one done because, you know, that's not part of our, our current mainstream schedule, but... But we're still committed to it. Yeah, so yeah, we're we definitely going to finish them. We will get to episode eight fairly soon. Yeah. But for now, we're covering episode seven before mm-hmm. a fall. And it was not my favorite episode. We can get into why later. <laughs> we So we watched it for the third time. To, well, for, probably fourth or fifth time tonight. Yes. Um, But like, so we watched it a couple of weeks ago to, to, to start the recap. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we just rewatched it again tonight just to kind of like brush up and refresh a little bit. And watching it like the third or fourth time, you kind of realize there's something pretty major that you realize about this episode. And, and we'll get there in a little bit as to what it is. There are things that start to make less sense the more you watch it. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> and having read the series like twice through almost. Mm hmm. It does make you appreciate it a little less just yeah. because you know how it happened in the books and it they changed some things around for better or worse. Anyway, we can talk about that in our, uh, well, actually, yeah, yeah. part of the podcast. Should we get to the summary? Yeah, yeah. Why don't we move into the to the tall and the skinny? The tall. <laughs> the, the long and the skinny. You keep creating innovative new section titles i keep creating you know the the wonderful thing about me is that i keep finding new ways to be wrong (laughs) (laughs) i am a constant font of innovation of wrongness that's fair and we appreciate that i was gonna say you can ask anybody that i work with and that's that's a complete accurate statement as well so episode seven is before a fall and the medallion is a shattered lion yes 
yes. symbolizing Sintra. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see a girl with a blue hood walking through a village. Wonder who this could be. Mm, no and idea. And we see her reveal herself as Siri, and she is attempting to steal some bread. And someone asks her, where are you going, little thief? And she responds that she's going to Skellige. Uh, she asks someone how long it is to the coast, and the guy laughs. He starts responding like, oh, it's it's this many miles, and uh, she's like, well, how long is it on foot? And he just laughs in response. A very kind-looking blonde woman in the village says, be careful, this is a bad village to be stuck in alone, and Siri very angrily responds, well, it's no different than anywhere else, is it then? So then we get Geralt on top of a cliff, and we get some very ominous music, and we see that he is looking upon just a line of soldiers. Like, as far as the eye can see, there are soldiers marching um, through this pass. And we see that they have black uniforms that we can put together. This is Nilfgaard marching somewhere. We don't quite know where yet. Then we see Geralt lurking in a weird tunnel, as Geralt is wont to do. Mm, mm-hmm. We see Mousesack approach down a hallway, so we know that it's in the past um, before Mousesack is killed. Um, and Mousesack says, like, out of nowhere, you request to see me. I thought you were dead. Why are you here now? Um, Geralt says, last time I told you I wasn't coming back. And Mousesack is like, exactly. So why are you here? And he's like, oh, I know. You've come for your child of surprise, haven't you? And Geralt says the opposite. I just want you to tell me that he's healthy so I can keep on riding. Mausak says, he? No, it's a she. Princess Cirilla has been raised by Calanthe since her parents died. Duny and Pavetta's ship wrecked at sea. Haven't you heard? Have you just been like burying your head in the sand like all these years? And Geralt is like, yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah, like that's that's actually pretty accurate. Um, so Mausak is like... Why are you here? Why do you think she's not safe? And Geralt responds, I saw an elf guardian soldiers marching in at the Amal Pass. It was a sea of black and gold. And Malsak responds, well, Nilfgaard is intent on taking over the continent. But since that night at Pavetta's banquet, the queen has done all she can to keep her family safe from threats. And like, he goes on to say that she shut the walls, fortified the gates, and suddenly they hear men rushing around the tunnels, and Geralt finishes Mausak's sentence and says, and sent assassins. And Mausak is like, what? And Geralt's like, were you followed, Mausak? So Geralt walks through this tunnel, and he suddenly sees these two men at either end of the tunnel. And they disappear just as quickly. And Geralt says very uh, menacingly, hmm... And he goes after one of the assassins and he goes into this weird little like vestibule thing and sees Mausak again and he holds a knife to his neck and he tells the assassins that surround them, if you kill me, he'll die. Um, And Mausak tells Geralt, you owe me one. Uh, This is on your queen. We will both die. Blame destiny. And Mausak decides to help him and they disappear through a portal. Um, So... After we get the little title sequence, we see a a wide shot of the city of Sintra. We see Kalanthe looking at swords in a market area. They're talking about this possible invasion by Nilfgaard. So one of her guards says, the Nilfgaardians aren't stupid. To attack now would be foolish. Kalanthe responds, the army whose stink I can smell on a strong breeze is the one I worry about. 
she tells her soldiers we'll prepare like we always do and one of her soldiers asks well when does the king arrive back from Skellige referring to east and Kalanthe says this morning it will be good to see that craggy face her right hand man responds well it would be better to see the 50 ships that Skellige promised Kalanthe looks like oh okay you're going there i see and she tells him like no offense taken you know i agree but we've taken on any pissant pretender for the last 12 years if Nilfgaard needs to learn the lesson that all those other countries did then let them come she starts saying that she wants reports from the Amal pass every hour but then she kind of stops herself when she sees that Geralt and Mausak are approaching Kalanthe says, I warned you about coming back. And Geralt says, I've been away for 12 years and I planned on staying that way till you sent eight men to kill me. Kalanthe says, I'm asking you now, don't do this. And Geralt says, well, maybe if you treated me more like a friend than a threat, do you know the difference anymore? I'm here to protect the girl. Kalanthe finishes, who I've raised is my own. Why would I give my only heir to someone who didn't bother to come back? Ooh, burn. Um, Kalanthe calls back to their conversation all that time ago at Pavetta's betrothal feast. She says, name your price. And Geralt says, I can't be bought. You should remember. Mausak chimes in here, says, money can't undo the law of surprise. Kings who have tried to outsmart it have ended up on pikes. Kalanthe says, well, if I win the war and lose Siri, it's really no victory at all. Geralt's like, I have doubts whether you can keep Siri safe at this point. Nilfgaard is on its way. Give her to me and I will protect her. Um, I'll bring her back unharmed. I promise you that. And Kalanthe says, Siri is all I have left. And Geralt says, well, if Siri survives, Pavetta does too. Kalanthe kind of looks at him meaningfully and she shouts out to all of her men. The law of surprise has been called. She says she will go get Siri herself and tell her we'll call for you when we have her. And we see this little puppet show and it's like the little marionette puppets. Punch and Judy, I believe is the term for those shows. Yeah, it's like those medieval puppet shows. Two characters, shows. yeah. It's Siri in the market, and she is looking at some gloves, like riding leather gloves. She hands the merchant this really beautiful ornate ring, and the merchant is like, well, where did you get this? And she says, it was my mother's. We see the woman from before approach her and uh, try to talk to her again. She asks, why is Skellige so important? The people there are grumpy. Why don't you come with me? I have food, a place to sleep. We'll stay together. The woman gets distracted for a minute and Siri steals one of her horses, who are named Clip and Clop, by the way. Um, so then we see Geralt um, as he goes down a corridor in the uh, palace at Sintra. Um, Geralt walks through the door and sees that Mausak is here and that Kalanthe is talking to a small blonde girl very seriously. She gives her this whole speech. She tells the girl to be brave. She says, who are you? The girl responds, the lion cup of Sintra. We see the girl's face at this point. We see that she's not the real Siri, but Geralt doesn't know that just yet. He says, pleased to meet you, princess. And Kalanthe says, she's going to be ready. We'll call you when she is. So Geralt leaves through the door and Mausak uses his magic force to close the door after him. Geralt senses that something's up. He's not quite sure what, but he hears this noise and he follows it. And he notices that his medallion is vibrating. So he walks out the door of the courtyard and he sees the girl that was with Kalanthe go up to this group of kids that are playing in the street. And we recognize this is the same group that Siri was part of. And she's hugging her friends and she bows to someone else who she calls her highness. And Geralt's like, 
oh, so this is not the real princess. Got it. So the real Siri looks at the doorway that Geralt just appeared from, but he's already gone. Um, so Geralt goes back to Kalanthe and confronts her, and he says, well, first you tried to kill me, then you lie to me. I just want to keep her safe. I'm not doing this to be nefarious. And Kalanthe says, well, she will be, and then she'll inherit my throne. Geralt's like, I wish you would just listen to me. And Kalanthe says, I listened to you once, and a hedgehog ended up in my court. Honestly, fair point. Yeah, yeah. Definitely a fair point on that one. She goes on to say that I lost Pavetta. I won't lose Siri. She tells him also that Destiny can fuck right off. Will Destiny help us win this war? Will it march in with a banner to war? We have an army. We have a navy. And we have me if Nilfgaard comes. And Geralt responds, a dynasty can't survive on arrogance alone. So Kalanthe quips, says a witcher she needs family you know nothing about that your mother cared so little she discarded you Geralt says you lecture me about a mother's love and then take another girl from her family Kalanthe says queen to all of Sintra grandmother to one I won't orphan that girl and she walks out the door at this point East her husband enters the door and she tells him to get Geralt out of there so Geralt um, and East walk out of the castle, and Geralt's like, I don't know what's wrong with you, East. You honored the law of surprise once before. Why not now? East says, well, things changed. I got a granddaughter. And Geralt's like, so protect her. Geralt's trying to convince him that he's putting too much faith in Kalanthe. East is like, I saw Kalanthe recover from Pavetta's death. I saw a woman that was broken, so utterly grief-stricken. She wasn't the person she was, but she recovered from that. I will follow her and trust her no matter what. He says, you need to promise me, Geralt, that you won't try to come back. And Geralt says, as he's standing between, <laughs> I need to point this out because it's really important in mm -hmm, a minute. Mm -hmm. So Geralt is standing under a doorway, like an yep. archway in the castle walls. Yes. It's in this specific location that only one thing can really happen. It's mm -hmm. like the only spot in this courtyard that this following yep. thing can happen. Yep. Geralt says to East, I can't promise that I won't return if her safety's at risk. And right away, two gates drop down from either side of the archway, mm -hmm. trapping Geralt. And Geralt looks shocked, yeah. absolutely <laughs> shocked by this turn of events, which is interesting because... If he was standing like maybe a foot away, mm -hmm. he wouldn't have been trapped. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I I would also maybe this is the point the the time to point this out that like this is this is a man trap, um and and that is the actual term for this this piece of architecture, um this is an actual thing that is designed into many castles of the time, um this is this is a piece of familiar architecture and a familiar engineering most people would know. Not to stand exactly where Geralt is standing. <laughs> it also just wouldn't have worked any other place. Yes. Like, um, if he was standing, like, what would East have done if Geralt was standing, like, slightly... Three, like, <laughs> two feet to the left? I don't know. He's like, come over here. Come yeah, over here. Hey, can you, can, you, can you stand there just a little bit? Like like I said, uh, I said to you at the time, like, this, this would have been a pretty familiar piece of engineering for most people. Um, it'd be the equivalent of standing on the gap on a drawbridge and being surprised when it opens up. Yeah, like, yeah. Okay. Not Geralt's finest moment here. No, no. This is, and even even if Geralt didn't know this, like he's pretty well known for having very very fast reflexes. Mm -hmm. um, I'm assuming 
he probably would have been able to like dodge roll out of it or something. No. I, maybe not. I don't know. Like I, he's just trapped and he's just too slow and he can't do anything about it. Maybe so. he, maybe he rolled a one. I don't know. Like he's trapped like a moth in a bath. Like a moth in a bath. All right. Uh, it, soapbox over. We move on and we're at this big ominous archaeological dig site that is clearly Nilfgaardian occupied. We are like battered over the head with this is Nilfgaardian occupied. Mm, there are like mm. black soldiers everywhere. Mm. Soldiers in black, not black soldiers. Yeah, yeah. Important distinction. They are speaking a different language and it seems like this it, this camp is run with like an iron fist. They're called ditch diggers, get back to work. And we see Yennefer riding up on a horse and um, she's looking around with some bewilderment. She gets off the horse. A soldier asks her for her safe conduct. She's coming from Cairngorm, and he asks how long she intends to stay in Nazaire. And she responds, that has yet to be determined. And as she says that, we see Eastrid approach. Eastrid, her ex-boyfriend um, from Banard, who she uh, hooked up with a lot at Eretuza. He has grown a quite fabulous breakup beard. He looks amazing. It is a fantastic beard, I, I have to say. So they're talking near one of these, like, pop-up tents at the site and Eastrid is talking excitedly about how Rune spoke of a megalith that they found in Nazaire. Are you familiar with what a megalith or whatever they're talking about is? Um, the only thing I can think of is kind of like just a big like monument mm. um, or like a big obelisk. Um, it's kind of, I was trying to figure out what it was that they were excavating. It did just look like a big piece of like obsidian, mm. um, but it looked like a monument made out of obsidian. Um it's kind of ambiguous, unfortunately. That's fine. Um, so that's why he's here, because of that magalith or magnolith. Um, old thing, probably magical, very old, has runes on it. That's mm-hmm. about all we get out of it. So Yennefer makes a comment about how Nilfgaard is crawling through the lands, and Eastred is like, well, I like those bastards. They fund my research. Um, and she flirts with him and says... A man of principle and Eastred turns out is not going to respond to that, but yeah. then just says some nerd shit like every glyph has a clue as the time before the conjunction. He says that he wants to explore the prophecy and the future. All of it. There is a drink um, that is dropped off by one of the Nilf guardians and Yennefer takes a, a drink and she makes a face and Eastred says that bad. And she's like, only because I have taste buds. And uh, Eastred says, like, you know, people were starving before Nilfgaard. Nilfgaard ensures everyone gets something, whereas most kings only care about their cocks and their coffers. Mm. Yennefer's like, well, seems like you drank the Kool-Aid. And Eastred's like, no, I didn't. It's just sometimes boring is better. Like, <laughs> it's not just boring, though, Eastred. It's, it's not just boring. <laughs> I didn't drink the Kool-Aid. Just sometimes I like grape-flavored things. <laughs> When he says, like, sometimes boring is just better, Yennefer says, no, it's not. Eastred is like, here, come with me. So they're sitting down at this tavern that looks like it reminds me of, like, the Star Wars cantina for some reason. Mm. No, it very much has cantina vibes. Yeah. She asks Eastred, well, how long do you see yourself here? And Eastred says, I don't know. There's a lot of work to be done. Why? And Yennefer says, well, maybe I'm missing you. Um Eastrid responds knowingly, the Yennefer I knew didn't miss anyone. And that is, that is an accurate statement. Yennefer lays it on thick and she says, it's not too late for what we talked about in the caves. 
we could go somewhere more cosmopolitan with, I don't know, maybe two types of beer. <laughs> you can play with your rocks and I'll work as a mage. And Eastred responds, you hate monoliths. Besides, look at you. You could have anyone. And Yennefer is like, I know, I have. It was fun being wanted. It was fun being the object of desire after all I've been through. Um, but all of them were just using me for my position at court, not for my power. I actually want people to really admire what I can do. And Eastred says, well, am I the only person that's seen it? And Yennefer is like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so she moves in, she kisses him, and he like at first backs away. And then he like starts reciprocating and they make out a little bit. But then he seems to pull himself away and he says, you know, I've spent years waiting for the moment when you realize we're right for each other. I kept coming up with excuses to study in Adern, Henges, dead languages, whatever would help me be closer to you. But each request was denied. You shut them down. Mm. Stragabor, of all people, helped me snap out of it. He said, forget about the girl and get back to work. And the mm. work saved me. Eastrid finishes this off by saying, you went after the thing you love the most. Sorry you chose power. And then he leaves her with this uh, <laughs> biting little line, at least you kept your eyes. And then he mm -hmm. leaves and walks mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. Right away, some guy slides across the booth at her and says, his loss. Hey, you want to buy some death sticks? <laughs> <laughs> and Sorry. it turns out this is who... Vilgaforts of Regeven. This is not Vilgaforts. This is a cheap imitation of Vilgaforts. <laughs> it's one of Vilgaforts's henchmen disguised it's a, it's as It's his body double. This is Vilgaforts's <laughs> body double. Um, so he is laying it on real thick as well. And she's like, well, why are you whispering? And he says, well, Nilfgaard is recruiting mages into their service. Look, I don't have a letter of safe conduct and yours is probably fake. So we should probably leave now before anyone starts asking questions. She's like, wait why where are we going and he says well we should go to Eretuza she makes a face Vogelforts responds well the chapter thinks that you're rash unpredictable dangerous but that's exactly what to say and I need right now you're a loose cannon Yennefer but you're the best damn mage we've got mm -hmm. Yennefer seems hesitant and that's when Vogelforts says to say said that you were the best student she ever taught and Yennefer is like she said that about me? She said that about... What? Oh, what? my gosh. Oh. <laughs> so, Yennefer agrees to come with Vilgeforts, just based on that. Um, and she's back at Eratusa, and she enters the room. And right away, Vilgefort says, let's talk about Nilfgaard. They're right outside of Sintra, and they won't stop there. We need help from the Northern Kingdoms. And Yennefer's like, uh, fuck that. Leave that to someone who gives a damn. Where's Tisea? Yennefer's like, never mind. I'll just uh, follow the sounds of the crying girls. <laughs> And Vilgefortz is like, oh, actually, to say it doesn't know you're here. And Yennefer is like, wait, what? But you told me she asked for me. And Vilgefortz is like, no, 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 no. Mm -mm. I said that Tisea said you were the best student she ever taught. <laughs> I was the one that <laughs> wanted you here. Uh -huh. Yennefer is like, great. I'm already being lied to within the first five minutes of knowing you. I'm sure that's a great sign of things to come with us. Um, so Yennefer wanders off in Eratusa alone and she starts having like flashbacks, PTSD, uh, you know, like just little glimmers of the past, mm -hmm. let's say. I, I won't say they're little glimmers because there's actually a lot of There's glimmers. a lot of them. Um, so she hears like some stuff from literally like five episodes ago, things that mm -hmm. we uh, learned in her episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 
she hears Tissaia's voice, you know how many people wouldn't blink if you died. And we hear a young Yennefer demanding to be let out. Um, we hear Tissaia's voiceover, sometimes the best thing a flower can do for us is die. Yennefer says, you should have let me die. At least I could control that. And Tissaia says, you're not taking control, you're losing it. And Yennefer bursts through this random door where she thinks all of the voices are coming from. And she says, what the hell is going on in here? And we see the girls with this dying plant and they're making all these excuses. And Yennefer says, well, Tissaia would give you hell for that. But fuck that old bag. Let's have some fun. Yeah, yeah. Fuck that old bag. This was my old room. All the girls are like looking at her because she's this glamorous, Mm -hmm. you know, former student. Yep, yep. They're like, well, like, why are you here? And she says, well, you know, like, my life was very elegant and very boring in Adern. Um, And she looks around and she remembers flashbacks from her time as a hunchback, her first days at the academy. We see the mirror that she bashed and tried to harm herself with. And so she's remembering and she's really kind of lost in these memories. We see, like, a lot of flashbacks of things we literally just saw. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. So we see, like, her breaking the mirror. Um, We see her, you know, crying. Yennefer says, I bet you hate botany as much as I did. And uh, she turns to the girls and says, who wants to know what these herbs are really good for? Hmm. So Yennefer starts brewing this potent potion um, that will get you absolutely stoned. Um they're in the botany room that we will remember from the episode um, where Yennefer was introduced. So they're in the same room, the, the same botany room. And so Yennefer starts brewing this potion. Um, she says, what they don't tell you is when you mix these two herbs, the colors are so vibrant, man. Yennefer doesn't know why she's coming back to Aratusa, but immediately proceeds to go get a bunch of 12-year-olds fucking <laughs> ripped. <laughs> So um, one of the students says, um, well, we were told never to mix herbs. And Jennifer says, well, I think you should think for yourselves, you little narc. As she Uh, jams an ayahuasca (laughs) wad into her mouth. So she says it will save you a lifetime of heartache. Um, And there's this vision beginning. Um, Someone says the ceiling is mounting. One of the girls tells Jennifer, gods, you're pretty. And Jennifer says, um... And, and one of the other girls says, well, nobody starts off that way. Yennefer tells the girl that said she's so pretty. You know what? Honestly, it's overrated. Um, and she finds out one of the girls is saying how the other girl's parents own half of Creighton. And she's like, wait, like, so you bought your way into Eretuza? Mm. And um, she is very frustrated and upset when she learns that now the girls are all just paying tuition, which is how mm-hmm. a normal school runs, Yennefer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, generally, like, you need some type of income stream f- to, to stay afloat, at least. But Yennefer walks out of the room. Yennefer says, but surely, like, you all had this conduit moment, right? And it turns out, uh, no. One of the girls says, if they catch us, they will expel us. And... Yennefer responds, there are far worse things than expulsion. And the girls are like, well, like what? And she, Yennefer just looks at them and starts bagging out of the room. And we see this uh, shot of Eretuza. And there is the room where we remember that all of Yennefer's friends turned into eels and she pushed them into the lake. 
Um, and all the girls ask, well, what is this place, Yennefer? And she responds, it's Eretuz's windmill. She says, unbridled chaos keeps the torches lit, but that's not why we are here. And one of the girls is like, I think we should go. I'm a little creeped out by this. And one of the students, and this girl actually has damage on her face, which I appreciate that they included a girl that doesn't look absolutely like unblemished in any way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So one of the girls says, wait, I want to learn more. And Yennefer says, you do? And she says, I want to learn everything. And Yennefer is like, this is what you should know. They take away the ability to create life here, real life. And Yennefer has this flashback of her having invasive surgery while she's completely awake and them taking out her ovaries, which was a traumatizing moment. So like Yennefer is encouraging them to leave. She says, you know, here at Eratusa, they make it so the only loyalty you have is them. And you trade it for what? Looks? A court full of idiots? And one of the girls says, well, just because you fucked it up doesn't mean we have to. And Yennefer responds, you with the magical talent of shoe leather? I'm going to raise my friends who never ascended. So Yennefer, as she's about to raise all of her friends, like, you know, that have been in the lake for like, who knows how long, 50 years, would probably be terrified to be brought back to life. Yennefer says, even if you do everything right, there's still no guarantee you'll get what you want. And that's when Tisea appears in the uh, the cave entrance Lurking thing. in the cave corner. Tisea, like, gets the girls, and then Yennefer follows her as she walks down the hallway. And Yennefer says to Tisea, like, you know, I never wanted to come back here. And she says, girls here don't even know how to do magic. Like, you've let in girls that don't have any talent, and for what? And to say is like, girl, have you never realized that we need money to survive here? Yeah, yeah. You know, we've had to compromise to survive as a school. Yennefer is like, you said I had to take responsibility for like my life. What about you? And all of a sudden we see all of these mages walk in and we see that Triss is among them. And Yennefer is like, what's going on? And Triss responds, the emergency conclave has gathered. Nilfgaard is attacking Sintra. Um, we hear Stregobor say, going to war against Nilfgaard is madness. And then the chief mage, who we recognize as Fringilla's uncle, says that Sintra turned its back on the mage's guild. We hear someone say, Nilfgaard is not going to stop at Sintra, and they're not going to stop ever. And as Stregobor is continuing to make the case for how they shouldn't intervene, to say is like, says the guy who murdered princesses who were born during the full moon. I'm not really going to listen to that guy. If you guys want to, go ahead. Tisea says, we can stop Nilfgaard if we act now. The South is a lost cause. It's up to the North to unite. Um, it's time to come together, convince our kings to send their armies and help Sintra. And Vilgefort says, yeah, if we mobilize, the Northern Kingdoms could cross the Aruga and step in. Stregobor is like, well, if Sintra falls, who actually cares? And Tisea is like, I care because that means our kingdoms are next. Suddenly, Frangilla enters um, like a Sith Lord and she says they only have a problem with Sintra, meaning Nilfgaard. Mm, um, she mm. says, in Nilfgaard, we know what it's like to have corrupt leaders. Our new emperor, Emperor Amir, has done wonders and we have done a lot of good while Queen Glanthe has done nothing. And Tisea says, I'm not going to speak for Sintra, but... We have laws and order and tax, and you've rejected all of that. And Frangilla is like, we believe in shared sacrifice. And everyone's like, 
yeah, but you like actually like make people act as human cannon fire and someone else chimes in and you also believe in forbidden magic like necromancy and fire magic and Frangilla says there's no such thing as light and dark magic. There's no such thing as fire magic. Pay no attention to that. (laughs) Nothing is as simple as that. She goes on to say you think we're destroying the continent but if we take Sintra we have a chance of saving it. She says if you won't take sides then at least stay out of our way. Stragobor says, enough of this tiring debate. Sintra is a lost cause. The head mage says, let's vote. And Vilgefortz is like, wait, we're not taking a vote right now. And Frangilla says, you know, actually, Yennefer is the one I have to thank because without her, I wouldn't have come to serve the White Flame. And Stragobor is like, it's too bad that Yennefer didn't go because if she did, Nilfgaard would probably still be a filthy backwater. Ha 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 ha. And Yennefer says, you know what? You're right, Stragobor. Instead, I went to Adern and did fuck all for decades, just as you taught us. I helped murderers and rapists keep their crown. Maybe it's time for something different. Yennefer, that's kind of a cell phone, not going to lie. Yeah, yeah. Stragobor is like, you don't get a vote. And Yennefer says, if I did, I'd vote to burn it all down. And Stragobor is like, see? <laughs> well, I didn't even want to vote anyways. <laughs> I didn't want to vote in your stupid voting election. Desaia says, Sintra has turned its backs on us, I know. They are proud and difficult, but above all else, they're scared right now. We called them a lost cause for years, but we stopped trying too. We need to risk our lives now, and more importantly, our pride, and try again. And Stragobor is like, all those in favor of letting Sintra die, and everyone except like five people, Mm -hmm. um, which is like Yennefer, Triss, Desaia... Um, some random lady who I don't know who she is in Vilgefortz. Everyone else other than those five yep. raises their hand. Just let them die. Tessaia goes after Yennefer as Yennefer exits the room. And she says, look, I know you hate this place, but the girls need Eratuza. We need to teach them control. Um, you are right that Eratuza is all I have. And if Nilfgaard wins and she cuts herself off and says... That's why Vilgefortz and I have gotten our super secret magical militia together, and mm. we're going to go fight back. Mm-hmm. You and what army? You have like five mages. And like 30 volunteer dudes. It's fine. Um, I'm sure there'll be a lot of red shirts that we round up or something. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't sound like a lot of them, but it does sound like some. Yennefer says, why should I do this? And Tisea says, if you won't do it for the Brotherhood, then do it for me. Please. And Yennefer asks, have you ever used that word before? Oof. Back in Sintra, the siege is going on. Mausak says that the defenses are coming down. This is all scenes we've already seen, but now we're getting a little more information. Siri says, well, now what? And uh, we see Geralt waking up in the dungeon and he escapes. I'm not really sure how he escapes, but, you know, the door kind of flies open and he kills a elf guardian right away he picks up a sword we hear Kalante saying the witcher i couldn't let him go i know what i've done he's in the gatekeep and siri overhears this mausak says if i can bring him here to siri destiny may yet side with us and so now we know that mausak was talking about Geralt when he was talking about him um so Kalante, meanwhile, tells her servant it's time. Siri says, like, what's going on? 
and Malsack runs down the hall to try to get Geralt. He screams his name, but Geralt is already gone um, because he's kicking ass in the alley. Yep. Malsack comes back and tell Kalante that he's gone. This is the part where Siri leaves the castle and is taken out on horseback, so we know what happens from there. Geralt, meanwhile, is in the courtyard. We see Kalante preparing to throw herself from the window. Geralt actually sees as she falls to her death, he sees her body on the ground and mm. he just kind of like looks in awe and then runs off. Um, he gets into the the keep and he goes through the hallway and he sees just a bunch of dead Sintrans in the castle. Geralt stabs a Nilfgaardian and demands to know where Ciri is and he doesn't respond. Um, Geralt really kind of gets in there with the sword mm-hmm. and then he pulls it out slowly. Geralt repeats, where is Cirilla? The soldier responds, no one is left. And then he starts saying some things that sound like gibberish. Mm-hmm. We shall be born anew. Watch for the signs. What signs these shall be. Geralt just murders him. Um, so we don't hear what else he's saying. We know these are actually um, words from Ithlene's prophecy, by the way. Um, so... It is important, and we hear more of it later in the episode. Mm. Um, so then we see Siri camping on the outskirts of town with the horse that she stole. And uh, Siri says that she should have traded the ring for food, um, not the gloves. And she starts talking. She's talking to the horse, by the way. And she says, what kind of crazy person talks to their horse? <laughs> it's a reference to Gerald, who was talking to Roach at the beginning of the series. So she blows on the fire and then she starts hearing someone approaching and she gets scared. Um, she gets her stick and the men who are approaching, um, they seem like there are dozens of them. The guy who is leading them says, it's all right, we're Sintrans and Siri breathes a sigh of relief, but it doesn't seem like they're completely good mm, guys just mm. from their tone. She recognizes one of the Sintrans as her friend that she used to play on the street with. His name is Anton and she says excitedly you made it out and they start attacking her anyway and Siri is like wait like and her friend says I told you it was her at the market talking to his friends. He goes on to say that the rumor is that Nilfgaard's looking for you and they will pay well for you. And Siri is like, wait, like, I'm sorry if your family got hurt, but like, what about all the good times we had together? This isn't you. I know it isn't you. Anton says, you thought you were better than us because we had to let you win. The only difference is that you have a crown on your head. They're starting to grab her and we see all of a sudden Siri drop to her knees and she starts using her power. And we notice here that she has green eyes, important because the eye color seems to vary. Mm-hmm. Um, so Siri says in a robotic voice that is clearly not her own, mm. Verily I say unto you, the era of the sword and the axe is nigh, the era of the wolf's blizzard, the time of the white chill, and the white light is nigh, the time of madness, and the time of contempt. And then we hear her scream, and that is the end of the episode. And scene. So the words that Siri was saying at the end there are from Ethelene's prophecy. So this is a prophecy that kind of underpins the entire plot. It is, it talks of this chosen one. Um, I'll actually read it all now. Verily I say unto you, the era of the sword and axe is nigh, the era of the wolf's blizzard, the time of the white chill and the white light is nigh, the time of madness and the time of contempt. 
had delayed the time of end. The world will die amidst frost and be reborn with the new sun. It will be reborn of the elder blood of Henny Care of the seed that has been sown, a seed which will not sprout but will burst into flame. And so the prophecy is just important to keep in mind. Um, I'm sure it'll come up several times throughout season two, and they're definitely trying to tie into other elements of the plot to come. So it is important to know. The prophecy is pretty important to like almost the entire plot line of the series. It's kind of important that they weave that in pretty early. And it's not surprising that they, they work it in here because, you know, you, you want to get the audience kind of familiar with it. So, yeah, I think it's, it's very interesting how they weave some of the elements together and some of the changes they make. I think a lot of the changes are for the better. Um, but some of them, especially in this episode, we see some of the flaws of the adaptations mm-hmm. and like the timeline shifts. So we can talk about that a little more in Unwell, um, Actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, should we just move right into Well Actually, or did you have anything else you wanted to, to bring that up? That was my intro. Oh, that was your... <laughs> uh, so why don't we move into a Well Actually anyways. Um, we do like swimming in wells pretty frequently here. Yeah, too. yeah. And um, I'm a know-it-all, so it, that helps. I mean, we're both, sure. know- we're both know-it-alls, honestly. So, um, okay, let's talk about the major thing. <laughs> Okay. That we noticed <laughs> with this episode. Okay. So the big issue, and I pointed this out while we were um, while we were watching it, is I, in we see Yen kind of meandering through the halls and like having nostalgia and PTSD flashback, and like I I I literally like looked over at you and I said, "Does it feel like we've earned this nostalgic trip through uh, Eratusa for Yen yet?" Because literally, we were just here four episodes prior, like, watching her development in Eratusa, like, experiencing it. So, like, this yeah. this sort of, like, kind of, like, meandering and, like, getting in touch with, you know, their trauma kind of feels very, like, too soon. Like, it doesn't feel like we've earned the nostalgia. Like, this makes sense if you were to pl- put this in, like, four seasons from now. Like, where she hasn't been back ever since and, like, it's yeah. been a while and, like... Yeah, it is confusing because I think that I can understand the voiceovers and calling back to that because that makes sense. Um, but, like, just, like, the the flashbacks that we see that we literally saw these like same scene four episodes episodes ago ago. so it just seems a little excessive Mm -hmm. and a little bit like you think the audience is dumb and Mm -hmm. can't remember Mm -hmm. much yeah yeah you know it's fine i'm sure a lot of us forget you know some of the nuances of these scenes like we're not going to remember every single thing but it seems like a pretty heavy-handed reminder well and like also it it dawned on me i can't remember if if these episodes came out like one week at a time no these all were they they all were all yeah okay and and season two i'm anticipating is probably going to do the same thing so like if you're binge watching this like most people probably are binge watching it you just saw those scenes three hours ago yeah four hours ago like very good point i'd like to talk about how this compares to the book and and really this is a there is not a lot of things that are completely uh steadfast to the book Mm -hmm. in this episode so 
Geralt was not, very importantly, Geralt was not in Sintra yes. during the siege. So that yes. is the biggest change yes. that they make. Mm-hmm. So Geralt never physically comes back mm-hmm. to Sintra after the betrothal feast for Pavetta. Yes, correct. So instead, um, when he is... Um, so if you'll remember in episode eight, which we'll, we have yet to cover, but um, and also in Sword of Destiny... Geralt has a really nasty injury and he um, calls the law of surprise with this one guy that he saves. But in the process, he gets really injured and has to be hauled in a cart Mm, mm. to Sodden. And he has these visions because he's taking powerful Witcher elixirs. Yeah, yeah. He's he's taking the crazy weird blue bottles that say like, do not take under pain of death kind of thing unless it's an absolute emergency kind of thing. So Geralt, who has not been back to Sintra to claim his child's surprise, has these visions of meeting with Kalanthe and of trying to claim his child of surprise. And mm-hmm. it's here he learns a lot of these key things. Like, first of all, the child of surprise is not a, a boy, but a girl. Mm-hmm. Um, he learns about Pavetta and Dooney's shipwreck. So he does learn these things from the vision. So it's not clearly just like a dream. There is like a prophetic nature Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. to the vision, but he doesn't meet Kalanthe physically. There is a part of it that feels like they are actually communicating in some way, just because it feels like it's prophesying. And we know that this is like, you know, he never sees Kalanthe again. There's a point where Kalanthe tells him, I think this will be the last time that we meet. So mm, it does mm-hmm. feel very like like they're having a real conversation. However, it does not happen actually. Yeah. He's never near the siege when it happens. Yeah. And honestly, like, so I'm fine with Geralt having gone back to Sintra at some point. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't, it really does not make sense for him to be there during the siege. Um, yeah. because then there has to be like a reason for him to not have rescued Siri right then and there. And it seems like that the simple answer that they came up with is like, oh, it's just like a series of things that he just, he just missed he just her. Missed there. her. And it's, yeah. It's a little silly. It's like he was in the hallway and then she was in the hallway. And yeah. They yeah. just missed each other. It was, it's just like a series of like coincidences. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, like. Maybe maybe that works better in a visual medium, et cetera, et cetera. Hashtag not a TV producer myself. But like, it, yeah, like it created like this this paradox, like in the timeline that you're just like, I this is hard to reconcile because like, <laughs> yeah, he should be there. He should be easily able to rescue her kind of mm-hmm. thing. But like, no, like <laughs> that, like that, that didn't happen. That's not what happens like in in I- any iteration of it, like. Because the whole point of it is that he's trying to rescue Siri in some way. Like, so... Yeah. If he just kind of grabs her from the get-go, from the, you know... Mm-hmm. Th- there's, like, literally massive chunks of the plot that then just got cut completely out of the storyline. So, I mean, if that's what you want to do, I guess it is your TV show and you can do what you want. But that seems like a hell of a retcon to me, but... They they changed some really fundamental things about the Siri Geralt plotline. Their first meeting is in Brooklawn. Um, they completely move that. They have Siri go to Brooklawn, but she doesn't meet Geralt there. Um, 
it's there that Geralt actually leaves Ciri, um, and that's when Ciri goes back to Sintra, and after that is when the siege takes place. So they actually meet far before that, um, which makes it so compelling when Geralt learns that the siege happened after his prophetic visions. Um, Dandelion's yeah, actually the yep. one that tells him because he runs into Dandelion, who's fleeing mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. from a Nilfgaardian invasion. Dandelion's the one that tells him, oh, yeah, Sintra is completely yeah, all that, burned to the ground. All and, that actually happened. All of your horrible nightmares about about your child surprise. Yeah, that's real. And Geralt, like, completely crumbles and thinks that he's lost his chance and that she's dead. Mm-hmm. And then they meet. Um, and they meet the same way in the series. Spoilers, I know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not as meaningful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. it's... I, I think so, like, in the book, the, it does a really good job of, there's a really good job of, like, they keep seeing each other in each other's dreams, mm-hmm. and, like, they keep kind of having, like, glimpses into each other's lives. Um, and they actually meet. Like, and then it, they meet. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I, I kind of already know who you are because I've seen all of these things prophetically. They didn't um, see each other prophetically before that, though. No? No. Okay, but but you're right in that they have more of an established relationship because they mm. met before and like they had this near miss where Geralt decides to leave Siri because mm. he can't handle it. Like he can't handle the thought of having a child with yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. He was, thinks he'll put her in danger. Yeah, like, and I think they were kind of hinting at that during the the Golden Dragon episode because mm-hmm. um, like the uh, some of the dialogue does feel very much like Geralt saying like Yeah, no, I, this this life isn't for children. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But I think they could have. I think they could have steered into that a little bit more, mm-hmm. especially even in this episode. Like, it could have very well been all they would have had to have done was like make Geralt have visited Sintra earlier than the siege, um, make it happen like two years in advance, kind of thing. And he's just kind of like, yeah, like you don't need to worry about her as my child surprise because I wouldn't wish this life on anyone, kind of thing. Like, I don't. Well, I-, I can't be a dad. So here, you you guys enjoy the child yeah. kind of thing. I think that really it would have saved a lot of manpower if they just had them actually meet in Broke Lawn because yeah. the the burden that season two now has is establishing that relationship between Siri and Geralt, yes. um, which yes. is established really early in the series. So I, I think that does a disservice to the show, mm-hmm. like just because they had a moment, you know, establish that relationship and now they have to establish two very important relationships to Siri in season two which yes is a lot yes so. yeah and and I, I was kind of thinking that too is that like the first book and a half or so is establishing the relationship between Geralt and Siri right I think they spent most of season one world building mm-hmm. um which I don't really think you need that much time world building you can probably you I think we probably could have done it in like a couple episodes and then focus on building the relationship between Geralt and Ciri. And then you have all the time for season two to uh, establish the relationship between Yen and Ciri, um, which is kind of what the book does a little bit. Like, yeah, I think that so like the the last wish and sort of destiny are all short stories. And so, yes, there is a lot of world building and there is a lot of um, building relationships between the characters, mostly Yennefer and Geralt and Geralt and Ciri. 
Um, and, and also Geralt and friends like Geralt and Dan's lion. And, and so all of those characters really bond. So by the time you get to the main plot line in Blood of Elves, you have these established relationships. Yep, really yep. the only relationship that has yet to be established is um, Yennefer and Ciri, which we yeah, get in yep. Blood of Elves. So I think it does leave season two. Season two has a lot to do, a lot to establish. So on top of having, you know, they're, they're picking up with Blood of Elves and the plot line for that. They also have to establish these very important relationships. So mm-hmm. that's a lot mm-hmm. to do in like eight episodes. Yes, so. it is. Yeah, it's a lot to do in eight episodes. Um, and so, I mean, I know they have another six seasons, right? They got picked up for eight, correct? They didn't officially get picked up for eight, but the creator said that they have a seven season arc in mind so okay um so i mean theoretically if they got picked up for another five seasons then i mean that means they got five more seasons to do those things but that's 35 episodes i mean that's not a ton of content did i do math wrong don't judge me if i did times seven is 49 I, I, i did six episodes six episodes per five seasons yeah okay and that's about 60 something so okay i mean that's a that is a lot of episodes i mean they that's, could they yeah, could that's do 64 episodes they could do they could do a lot with that but i i feel like i feel like they could have they could have spent it a little bit early a little bit better a little early on but i mean once again hashtag not a showrunner myself so you know i'm i'm armchairing here pretty bad but well um so the, the second part of this is the Yennefer storyline, which is also very um, much created for the show. Mm-hmm. And so Yennefer and Eastred storyline is pretty different. Um, in the book in Shard of Ice, which is a short story about Yennefer and Geralt and Eastred's love triangle. Mm-hmm. Unknown um, love triangle. <laughs> Yennefer is both seeing Eastred and mm-hmm. Geralt. And so Geralt and Eastred find out about each other. They both think, I'm the love of Yennefer's life and Mm, they both mm. get pretty burned and she leaves at the end. Yeah. Um, They changed that pretty dramatically. They have um, Yennefer visiting Eastred, who's an archaeologist. The only thing that I can really make sense of is that there was an archaeological dig mentioned in Mm, Shard of Ice, mm -hmm. but Eastred's character has changed pretty dramatically for this show. Yeah, he's definitely a lot more fleshed out. We really only meet him in Shard of Ice. That's kind of really the only place that he exists. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we don't really have any backstory. So like he just yeah. kind of the fact that he's kind of been fleshed out as an early love interest is is actually kind of interesting and I kinda of like it. So thumbs up on that one. Like I do I do kind of like that he has more depth. Oh yeah. He is more it, it adds more characterization to the both of them and adds more depth to the world if there's, you know, more than two people in it. Um so like we, I was gonna say we might still get Shard of Ice, but like I don't I, think so. Based on the based on the episode titles for season two, I don't think where where it seems like they're putting the plot line. I don't think we're gonna have time for Shard of Ice, or I don't think they're gonna work that in at all. I think they probably determined that would make you not want to root for Yennefer, and yeah, it is a yeah. very hard one. So I recommend reading it if you're even if you're not planning on reading all the books. It, it some of the short stories are definitely worth reading. Mm-hmm. I would recommend The Last Wish, Shard of Ice, and Sword of Destiny if you were just going to do like three. Um, those establish really important relationships, um, and they're just really good for understanding the world. Um, yeah, I was I was going to say that like 
yeah, even, I think the only reason we come back around to Yen uh, in the books is because of the fact that there's so much time that like passes between it and, and like so much time in the chapters as well. Like we it kind of takes probably almost a full book before we kind of come back to Yen and starting to like Yen again. Um, and it, it's really just Yen's interaction with Siri is really kind of what saves it. So like, well, what I think- in a TV show like that kind of that's kind of a hard development and a hard sell like once you once a character becomes like tarnished like they're kind of really hard to untarnish so i i don't think that they they could do it in a way that builds up her arc because i think we definitely Mm -hmm. see a lot of like bad sides of yennefer in this i just think it didn't really fit into the story they wanted to tell so they just decided to leave it out um yeah and you know it's probably fine that they did it's just for understanding Geralt and Yennefer's difficult relationship, I think it's a really good short story to read, so I recommend it. Yeah. Um, the Battle of Sodden and Vilgefortz of Rigeven, this is also a very invented plot for this show. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that Yennefer fights in the Battle of Sodden, but we don't really know how she comes to fight, so they fill in some of the gaps here. Yeah, yep. Um, they have Yennefer meeting Tissaia. We have this um, infighting between the Brotherhood. In reality, all of the mages came together. In reality, all of the mages came together to fight um, back against Nilfgaard at the Battle of Sodden. So this infighting between the Brotherhood is invented for this episode. I I kind of like it though. Um, I really do think that like it it does add some really interesting dynamics and depth to the world of like the magical bureaucracy. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think that this works pretty well. And I, I always said that I, I wanted Stregobor to be a, a more important part of the book because he is yeah. a, a pretty good villain. But I do think he has a pretty major role and maybe it could be like toned down a little. But, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that he works as a sort of villain here. Mm-hmm. Um, Frangilla's character, like I said, has been changed a lot from the books. Mm-hmm. Frangilla mm-hmm. Vigo is a sorceress from Nilfgaard, but she's not the chief mage. She's, she's not part of the like evil machinations. She's a, she's a borderline like cardboard cutout in the books, honestly. Like she has a lot of thoughts, and she she has a plot to she has a piece of the plot, and and she's important for certain you know, storylines, but she is not like this big bad as the show uh, mm-hmm. creates her to be. Um, Frangilla Vigo is basically like Joseph Goebbels or something for Nazi Germany. Yeah. 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 She, yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's a good way to describe her in the show. Um, that, yeah, like just kind of like a vice president of like evil. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like Frangilla is just like a completely different character, so it it almost isn't worthwhile to compare her to the book character at all. Yeah, she is. Yeah, very very different. I I do like her actually quite a bit in in the in the TV series. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's great. I think the actress is really really fantastic too. Yeah. Um, just fits in really really well with the world. I I want so okay. So there's a couple of things here that we kind of touched on a little bit though, like. I don't want them to get in the way of the real big bads that are that are coming down the pike, um, because like I love the the real big bads so much more, um, because I feel like they're so much more interesting. I feel like they have so much more depth. I feel like there's a lot of like just cool like just awesomeness that kind of comes with them. So 
I don't think they will. And I think that once Emperor Amir is introduced, it will definitely, like, I think he will be a big bad. And I think that he will be a major, like, presence. But yeah, because yeah. he's not here, I think they just need to have all the henchmen be big bads mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. So. And, and that's kind of the vibe that I've been getting is that, like, we see all of these, what we as, like, more in-depth readers kind of recognize as, like, puppet-like machinations of of Amir mm-hmm. um, that we like realize that like if you look at all of these things that are going on and, and this is a little bit of a spoiler and I apologize for that but like all of these things are being orchestrated by Amir mm-hmm. um, and that this is all just kind of a big push by him like l- pulling the curtain back on that is kind of a kind of a big reveal in the books a little bit um, but like and it might be a good big reveal that happens in the show. And, like, I think we'll, they'll kind of, like you said, take a backseat, hopefully, um, to the, you know, to Amir once he becomes kind of more of a main character. Yeah. And I don't want to spoil a lot about Vilgefortz's arc, but I think that he, he probably won't be one of the good guys for very long. No, no. Vilgefortz is a villain in the mm-hmm. books. And he's mm-hmm. also not introduced this early. We do know that he was at Sodden. So that is at least accurate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is quite a bit changed. Um, we don't see any of this stuff from Yennefer. We don't see her going back to Eratusa. I still tell you that this man is a cheap cop-out cop wish.com version of Vogelfortz. I know. We, we know your opinions very well. And, and maybe, maybe, because we haven't seen him in his full form, maybe he'll come back with a cape and an accent and maybe, um, you know, like an earring or something. I'm thinking he might fall into a vat of chemicals or something similar and then come out as, you know, in his true emerged bloomed form. <laughs> He's like a butterfly. Yes. Yes. He has to. He side. has to. He has to egress into the the just evil incarnate that he is. Uh, two additional notes on this. Um, so. Yennefer is really upset when she learns that the girls um, that are at school now are paying tuition or bought their way into school. In the books, we actually learn that Eratusa does cost money. Yeah. Um, because yeah, like that's... at one point, Yennefer tries to enroll Siri in Eratusa and has to pay a fee. Yes. So <laughs> pays tuition. This is not as big of a deal in the book. Um, I, like I said, it's a school, not a charity. I know that you Euro- Europeans have like actually like school that's financed by the state. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. It doesn't we have cost some of you those too, but for 30 years, but that's fine. Eratusa does cost money in the books, um, so it's not a big mm-hmm. reveal mm-hmm. at some point. So one thing that I actually do want to point out, like when they change things like this creates sometimes plot holes and one of the this isn't a plot hole so much as like a tarnished characterization um one of the things that we we once we realize that like in the books like it dawns on you that oh yeah eratusa has a tuition mm-hmm. um is that that means that Tesea thought that yen was so powerful and so magnificent yeah that she just brought yen in yeah, and, and like that really actually kind of makes Yen stand out, and like her like abilities kind of seem that much more spectacular if you really actually think about it, because Yen didn't even realize that like it cost money, kind of thing. No, no, Yennefer did know it, it cost money. Yeah, in the um, in the books, I'm saying she did, but yeah, yeah, she she did know it cost money, but but you're right. I never thought about that, 
mm-hmm. Yennefer sort of a scholarship kid, I yes, think. Yes, yes. Um, we don't, but again, the book leaves a lot of unanswered questions that mm-hmm. I think the TV show feels compelled to answer. And that's fine, but it means that, you know, some of the holes are going to be filled in with frog DNA. And yep. in the end, that's going to create some issues, plot mm-hmm. holes, mm-hmm. maybe some plot lines we don't absolutely love. I, you know, like I said, I think I'm ragging on the the TV show a lot. I just think it's a different medium. And yeah, it yeah. doesn't mean that, like, you know, the things they're trying sometimes don't work. Um, it does mean that, you know, as a book reader, you're going to have some issues and some things that you yeah. wish played out differently. That's and, fine. And that is why we call this section the will actually, because we're kind of making fun of ourselves a little bit because we do realize that, like, we probably will never actually be happy with, you know, whatever the, the, the TV show does. Um, we're going to find something to complain about that's kind of kind of actually why we're here. <laughs> but like, yes. um, um, Also, one more thing I wanted to point out is to say it really does not take sides in like mm, the Nilfgaard mm, mm. battle. In fact, she's one of the most neutral people to a fault. later at the yep. Battle of the Ned. Yep. So I just wanted to bring that up. It is a little interesting that they have to say on a clear side mm, um, mm. against Nilfgaard here. Again, they they make a lot of changes for the better, but there are some things we're just not going to like, and that's fine. We can Mm, disagree, mm -hmm. but we're just going to be those pompous book readers that tell you everything was better. Everything better in the book, yeah, yeah. Uh, And that's I and like we said, I and I know we we rag a lot, but like the 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 TV show does make some some really awesome changes that I'm always happy to see, Um, and we try to we try to accentuate that as well, but like. It's a lot more fun to rag on things sometimes, you know? Yeah. Honestly, that's kind of why we did this podcast. Exactly. Exactly. Hi, friends. Do you love coffee? Do you love sharing coffee with other people? Do you also hate money? I can help you with all of these things. You can donate to our podcast and help keep our operation going and hopefully providing the content that you also hopefully love. You can support us by visiting buymeacoffee.com slash midnightpod. And again, that is buymeacoffee.com slash midnightpod. Any donation goes directly to keeping us caffeinated and productive, or at least caffeinated. Thank you very much and have a good night. I think we should. Do you you hear something? Unsolved Mysteries. Mm-hmm. John Mark, after watching episode seven, what are your unsolved mysteries? Um, I think one of my big unsolved mysteries is how did Geralt get out of the cell? Yeah, that is a good question. Um, <laughs> he just was so awesome. The door flew yeah, open. I, I mean, I seem to remember, like, I, I feel like I have memory of him, like, knocking out a guard or something. He did. But, he like, did, but, like, I forget if he, like, did he knock down the door? <laughs> like, I, what did I don't. He do? I don't really know. Did he operate out of it? He might have. Um, so, like, that was kind of a big mystery. Also, like, what? No, destiny opened the door. Okay, <laughs> that and like destiny opened the door, what, but did what, it what let him he... reunite with Siri? Yeah, and like, what was what was his what was he doing during like the battle of of or the siege of Sintra? Like. He was meditating. Yeah. Like, okay, like didn't didn't he try and go back into the, the like I think he tried to go back into like the no, he Queen's did. quarters, but like they they were already gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyways. 
my question is like how does destiny actually work because like it is a little funny that like Geralt was brought here by destiny apparently and was not able to like unite with siri at any point so i'm thinking that destiny so destiny in this universe works kind of like death in final destination mm-hmm. um in that it's just like an active character okay but i don't but i think unlike uh death in final destination that it's a somewhat ineffective character or just semi inept. <laughs> um, like, it doesn't think like three moves. <laughs> it doesn't think three moves ahead. It's like playing it's like playing chess with someone who's had way too much coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not capable of like thinking like more than like a, a single like move ahead kind of thing. Um, so like you know you can kind of get to checkmate on them, you know, a couple a couple moves earlier before you might realize it or with other people did mausak go very far when he was looking for Geralt? because it feels like if you no. looked around the corner he <laughs> no. would have found him no uh, uh queen kalathe i checked everywhere uh i literally I, just went up I looked, to the door. I, I looked up the hall i looked down the hall he's nowhere to be found <laughs> It, like how many lives would have been changed if Valsak just looked around the corner? Yes. <laughs> yes, just like around the corner. I don't know, maybe like up the stairs. No, okay. I feel like the curb your enthusiasm music must be playing. Did, did Geralt really try that hard to find Siri? Because it seems like he also just didn't killed seem one like, guard. Yeah. Like, also, I love that he's trying to get him like information from this guard and then stabs him before mm-hmm. he's able to tell him anything. It's like, it, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I kind of okay. So that's that's another thing that does bother me a little bit is is the kind of like religious zealotry aspect of things. Like, I know we've talked about this before, but like, okay, I. I I find it hard to believe that like everybody in Nilfgaard is like all super like the white flame will save us no, kind they of thing. All like are. Okay, every okay, single yeah. one of them, every single one of them is like that. Yeah. Okay. I I kind of would have figured like at least there'd be like you know at least one coward among them who's like no don't kill me please <laughs> like they don't pay me enough for this like no all of Nilfgaard seems very brainwashed and mm. very much like they drank the Kool Aid. Yeah. Okay. So that's a that's an unsolved mystery. Like how did that happen? Like, because that, that's a lot of people to just, like, kind of get them to drink the Kool-Aid. But, I mean, you know, I guess that may be some of the commentary on that the show is trying to make. But, I don't know. Why did Yennefer go try to find Eastrid? Because, like, did she want something out of him? Or was it just because, like, hey, I want, yeah, she- like... She wanted that thing. Uh, no, know? I understand <laughs> that, but it's like, you know, Yennefer just wants to revisit, like, the good old days. It doesn't seem like a very Yennefer thing to do. Yes. <laughs> um, yes, it, it does. I, the only thing I can think of is that, like, she wanted to make sure she was winning the breakup, you know? She and, kind like, of is. She kind of is. Like, And I think maybe she doesn't realize that, but, like, I think getting there, she kind of realized, like, oh, yeah, he's sitting in a hole, like, with a bunch of slave labor, like, digging at rocks. Like, true. Mm hmm. Very true. He's not a world mover or shaker. And that's kind of what she was looking for. But, um, so the other thing, the other question that that does bring up is, like, when Vogelfords brings up, like, 
hey, uh, to say a DeVry uh, asked for you by name or he made her think that, um, suddenly, all of a sudden, she cares about to say his approval. Um, this is literally a character that through the entire time she has been like, I don't, I don't, I think you're an idiot. I don't agree with anything that you say. Mm-hmm. I, I hate you. You're a terrible person. You're not my real mom. You're not my real mom. Oh, but she said, she said she asked for me by name. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> what? <laughs> and then like immediately flies back to, to Eratusa. Like, yeah, it's. There are a lot of mixed it's messages. Really, uh, it's really, it's kind of out of character like, in a lot of ways. I understand, like, there is an argument to be made that, like, Yennefer really does want to say his approval. And I'm sure that, like, deep down inside, she would be honored or, you know, at least, yes. like, happy that to say ask for her. But, but we I have also seen don't none think, of that. True. But I also don't think that she'd admit that from the, the scenes we've seen before, mm-hmm. you know, like. We've seen her be very angry at yeah, Saya, so yep. it seems like maybe, I mean, like, maybe she just was like, I have nothing else going on. I was just, like, rejected right. by my ex-boyfriend. <laughs> I guess yeah. I'll go. Um, so maybe she was just bored. But, like, that could have been, like, a. I feel like that could have been a better thing to have her I- express, like... All right, I guess that is a good place for me to go right now because, you know, like mm-hmm. Volgafort said, like, okay, Nilfgaard's hunting you, hunt, probably hunting you down now. Um, and I'm fairly certain Adern doesn't really want you back. So, uh, Eratusa may be a cool place to hang out. And to say it did kind of ask for you by name. All right. Yeah. I guess that might be a convincing factor, you know? Yeah. It's weird because, like, once Yennefer gets back to Eratusa, she spends the whole time complaining. But yes. Like, <laughs> yes. You seem so excited. So, like, which is yes. it, ma'am? <laughs> yes. Like, are you excited or do you hate it here? Like, yes. I, I need to know. Well, and then, like, one of the little girls asks her, like, so why are you here? And, like, I remember, like, I think I shouted out in the living room, yeah, why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> like, you could do anything. It's like the Cullens, like, going to high school. Yes. They're, like, immortal vampires. It's like, you could do anything and the, yet you're here. I'm going <laughs> to get these 12-year-old girls fucking ripped. <laughs> I mean, that that scene makes more sense then, I guess, if she's just that fucking bored. Like, yeah, like also, how does so how did Eratusi used to make money? Did they just have like a lot of endowments? Like, (laughs) magic money. It just, yeah, they just, they just make it. Yeah, they make magic money. There is like that they they bought their way in or something, which, Mm -hmm. yeah, I can imagine that being offensive. Yeah, Yeah, but that assumes that like there was just like no people paying tuition for a while yes, and yes. that seems like not a great way to make ends meet as a magical school well and i feel like i feel like that could have been very easily established in in some way shape or form in there mm-hmm. in that like um just established that like okay there was still a tuition but you had to like it was like harvard kind of thing where you had to like yeah. well Okay, bad, maybe kind of a bad example in modern day, but like <laughs> you, you, you can't pay your way into yeah, uh, yes, Ivy you, League. Yeah, you definitely you, can. That, that's um, not a thing that happens. No, no, definitely not a thing that happens at all. Um, but like, okay, so we'll say like a a meritorious, a, a well known school. Um, you know, you, you you still have to earn your place there, but then once you earn your place, you have to pay to be there. Um, right. But like, and maybe maybe like 
you could have established that in like three lines of dialogue I don't prior think they to that. even thought about it like yeah. i think they were like let's make this like a really emotional moment let's just have like which jennifer find out that like it's not the same as it used to be but you hated it jennifer you hated it when you were there so yeah. like <laughs> yes also a solid question like, jennifer is full of contradictions i so i think the other thing i think the thing about it is that like one of the things that Yen is proud of is is her we do see that she's very proud of her magical abilities mm-hmm. and I think that's something so first off that's something that she was ashamed of for most of her life mm-hmm. and it became a point of pride for her so like that's like all she has you know what I mean like right. everything else in her life she has been told is complete crap and complete garbage so like when you see someone who is like where you were that you were proud of maybe surviving even um who is just like paying to be there with no real reason to be there other than just like dad is rich and well connected mm-hmm. um i mean yeah that that i i can see where that would be it, it's a it the the intent that they were trying to go for does work and as a motivating factor yes it's 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 definitely there but like I think there's just a few logistical questions that mm-hmm. it raises um, that didn't get addressed. Uneven, I feel like so Jennifer is like at one point wants to hang out with these students. At one point she says like you have all the talent of old shoe leather. Mm-hmm. Like it's mm-hmm. very confusing. At one point she really wants to be at Eretuza, and then she's like I hate this place. I I'll just follow the sound of the girls crying. Mm-hmm. So. I do wonder how Yennefer really feels or if it's consistent at all. It's okay to have mixed emotions, but it did seem to veer wildly (laughs) within the same scene. So, so. like, yeah, I was going to say, and mixed emotions, like, most people have pretty mixed emotions about, like, their early early youth experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, I know I certainly do. I I like to think most people probably do as well. Um, But, like, so, you know, that's a very relatable experience, um, but like it, you have to be very careful in how it's handled on screen, um, because it it either it it comes off as like a mixed message rather mm-hmm. than um, it can very easily come off as a mixed message rather than like having like a conflict of mixed emotions. You know what I mean? I will give credit a lot to Anya Charlotra um, mm-hmm. because I think that this was actually the most Yennefer. Oh, very much. Like, so, I, I felt like. Her performance was so true to Yennefer's character. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think with the lines that she was given, she did the absolute best she could. Oh, yeah, yeah. And this is not to knock all of the writing. It's just that she had to convey a lot of nuance and a lot of tonal shifts. And I think she did it really well. And like a real key aspect to Yennefer's character is just this anger and ire. And like, I think she does a great job of like coming off as, someone who has these complex emotions and Mm -hmm. she uh, conveys that anger in a way that's not like, Oh, she's just an angry lady. It's like, she's angry for a reason. You know, it's, it's a hard anger. Like it's a hardness of personality that comes off frequently as anger. Mm -hmm. And she, she captures Anya Charlotta captures that beautifully. Yes. Um, Honestly, like it's kind of funny because the entire, like all of this happening, like, I kind of don't even uh, I kind of kind of don't even cognitively see anyone other than Yen. Like I don't see it as like a you know a, a fault of acting. I just see it as Yennefer doing the wrong thing. You know <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's it's not like a, she's breaking the character or mm-hmm. anything like that. 
um, or like out of place or awkward or anything or giving odd delivery. Um, no, it, it is like it, it's it feels more like a glitch in the video game. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like when if you're if you're if if your character kind of glitches out and ends up in a place where they're not really supposed to be is more what it feels like. Yeah. And I mean that as a compliment to 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 Anya Charlotra. I really am eager to see how her characterization of Yennefer changes over time because I think it's just going to get better. Like I think that she understands the yeah. character so well, and like the acting is so great. Like I I don't have a lot of complaints about the acting in this series mm-hmm. except maybe Vilgefortz because like Vilgefortz doesn't really have a lot of characterization yeah. in this episode. Yeah, yeah. He's just a pretender, as mm-hmm. we've acknowledged already yeah it's yeah it, it's a body double they're gonna kill him off pretty soon so that you know the real vulgar thoughts can rise forth <laughs> yes john mark we've talked a lot about this episode mm-hmm. how many coins would you toss at episode seven of the witcher on netflix i would toss a melting ceiling with some spinning levitating 12 year olds Okay, so how many coins would that translate to? About six. About six. Okay. All right. Go on. Um, this episode is it's it's solid. Um, it's a little bit of a bridge episode. I honestly, it's mostly it's mostly Yen that carries it. Um, mm-hmm. because I'm I am always deeply invested in Yen's storyline. Um, so even even when I quote unquote don't like it, like I'm still absolutely here for it. Like it's it. Um, Yen is, of course, far and away the most interesting character in the entire series. So, like, I'm absolutely here for absolutely anything that she is participating in on screen. I think I will toss four coins really? to episode seven okay. of The Witcher. Um, I have several reasons for this. One, I'm really not knocking the acting like I was saying. I mm-hmm. think the acting was really good and Henry Cavill didn't have a lot to do this episode, but you yeah. know, his face reactions were great. So yeah, he just kind of glowered a good bit, you know. <laughs> hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought the acting was really good. I thought that the plot lines, some of the changes that they made were not my favorite. I will give it bonus points for it introducing Ithleen's prophecy, but... I think the number one reason I don't rate it any higher is because it gave us so much of the material we've already seen and digested. And mm-hmm. I feel like it could have like reminded us of these things more subtly, but instead it's sort of insulting the audience. You just saw these things, but you probably forgot it. Yeah. Here are some <laughs> scenes that you saw like a little while ago and yeah. we have to, you know, really punch you in the face so you remember it. Yep. I don't think they really needed to do that. I think it was interesting to see them fill some of the gaps in with the Sintra storyline. But again, I think that it feels a little clunky to have Geralt and Sintra. I think it's too coincidental. I think because they're going to do the vision with episode eight anyway, I think they could have probably worked it in in a more interesting way. So as much as I love some of the aspects of it and the acting of it, it just doesn't stand out for me. I think it's one of the weaker episodes and probably that's because they don't have a lot of source material that they're working with. I mean, they... they, Yeah, actually, you're probably right on that one. So they actually like do use a good bit of source material and they do adapt it as best as they can, Mm -hmm. but they're filling in a lot of gaps that just weren't ever filled in in the book. Yeah, yes. Yep, absolutely. Like you talked about earlier, like we don't really know what happened with Yen during this period. It's never talked about in the books, Mm -hmm. at least up to where we are. Um, I don't think it is at all. 
Um, so yeah, like they're 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 filling in the gaps here. So like it's a hundred floors of fright. They can't all be winners. <laughs> like I'm fine with the stuff with Eastred. I honestly am fine with those changes. I think that it works well. I think the Battle of Sod and Leadup is a little clunky. I think Geralt being in Sintra is absolutely clunky. So for those reasons, I can't elevate it past a four. I still think there were a lot of good aspects in it, though. Yeah, yeah, uh, I definitely agree with you on that one. But I, with that, I think the fire is getting a little bit low here. And I think it's time for us to go claw those 12-year-old girls off the ceiling. Um, <laughs> in, I don't mean that in any sort of creepy way. Um, those are some really potent drugs, apparently. Yeah. Um, You're not supposed to mix <laughs> herbs. Yeah. You, they say don't mix herbs, you know? It's it's just, you know, you're not supposed to eat an entire, you know, mouthful of ayahuasca. It's just, you know. Not recommended. Not recommended. After the 12 hours of vomiting, you're just going to keep going for another 28. So mm-hmm. with that, I think it's time to get going. And until next time. I'm John Mark. And I'm Alexa. Good night.